Hey BU, did you hear the big news? On April 2nd, we're celebrating Giving Day, and this year the theme is Proud to Be You. Giving Day 2020 is a day for alumni, parents, students, faculty, staff, and friends from all over the world to come together to give back and celebrate what makes them proud to be you. Keep an eye out for announcements regarding special one-time challenges that will make your gift go even farther. Mark your calendar and be sure to follow BU alumni on social media or visit bu.edu slash givingday for all the details. Now let's get to the interview. From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season, we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. My guest today is Mamta Rodriguez. Mamta graduated from the College of Arts and Sciences in 1995 with a dual degree in economics and mathematics. Since her graduation, Mamta has done some fascinating work and truly found her niche as a prominent fintech leader. It comes as no surprise that her resume includes senior leadership experience at industry giants like American Express, Visa, MasterCard, and Synchrony. On this episode of the podcast, Mamta talks about building a career at the forefront of the digital finance revolution and how she found balance between work and family. Well, Mamta, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us on the Proud to Be You podcast. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. I myself have an MBA from Boston University. I went part-time, but I still would have a very difficult time understanding what your role is. Can you sort of, for, for somebody who doesn't understand finance or financial services, how would you explain what you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. So my day-to-day, I wake up thinking about the consumer, each one of us, and as a cardholder, um, what would, would help us transact better? Um, and what's that payment experience? So the landscape of payments is changing quite rapidly. And uh, my job is to think about that landscape, build products um, with the consumer-led solutions in mind um, that are easy to use, um, easy to understand, um, and honestly, easy to transact with. So I definitely want to hear all about your career path, but let's start at the beginning. I can only help but wonder, I assume your favorite class as a kid growing up might have been math. Did you always have a thing for numbers? And tell me a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up in Belmont, Massachusetts. And I tell you, it wasn't until 10th grade that math became a strength for me. And it was really my teacher at the time who um, saw how to help me like learn math because I learned by application more than by rote memorization. And that's where my love for math actually started. Before that, I was actually a bit afraid of math and it, I didn't think it was a strength of mine. So 10th grade, were you at uh, Belmont High or did you go to a different school? Belmont High. Belmont High. And well, so uh, you, you find this love for math as a, as a sophomore. At what point do you make the decision to go to BU? And did you know um, kind of right out of the gate what you wanted to study? Yeah, I did not know. To my parents, um, you know, disappointment. I did not know what I wanted to study because I originally also loved science. So I came to BU for a few reasons. BU had a really good science program and a pre-med program. And I was aspiring to be a doctor. Um, Now, while I love science, all of my electives um, at BU from my freshman year were in mathematics. Um, It was the they were the classes I would take. I was taking. I was taking statistics for fun, Um, and so that in itself was eye opening. 
so, but there were two reasons I came to be a right. I said it was the sciences, the arts, the mathematics curriculum, but also the culture and the vibe. That was what, you know, I had quite a few um, opportunities in other colleges to go to, but BU really stood out for me. And it was a place that I could feel that I could belong and be myself. And also just the diversity really appealed to me. So that's what brought me there. The journey of what I was going to be when I grew up took a couple of years. And that's where BU was really good for me because it's a university and there's a lot to offer. So I was able to take classes and explore my freshman and sophomore year and realized over that time that while I loved um, the idea of helping people in the practice of medicine, I didn't love the classes. So (laughs) kind of a problem, right? Um, And so they weren't the ones that I resonated to. And just it wasn't just that my innate nature that they were appealing to me. What was appealing to me were, of course, as I alluded to, the math classes. And then I took my first econ class per the recommendation of one of my professors in my junior year. And the rest is history. I ended up loving economics as well. And that's how I ended up with a double major. So I want to talk about the academic experience, but one of the things I also like to ask uh, our guests about is just their life at BU. I'm curious to know, you know, at what point did, did BU feel like home? If you lived on campus, what, what resonances were you living in? Where were you eating? What were your favorite hangouts? All those kinds of things that sort of made up your college experience outside of the classroom. BU felt like home from orientation. I made friends right from the beginning. Um, And although I came from a small town, not very far from Boston, I hadn't spent a lot of time in Boston proper. So it was the best of all worlds for me um, as far as feeling like home. I lived in Warren Towers um, my freshman year, uh, Shelton Hall my second year, my sophomore year. And then I was an RA um, my junior and senior year back in Warren Towers and uh, just really loved the experience. I also hung out quite a bit at GSU. And then, of course, you know, the usual hangouts around town uh, socially, everything from, you know, walking the streets of like such as Newberry Street to uh, going to games and watching, you know, our hockey team and many others. So, you know, it was really a community and I, I truly enjoyed it. That's great to hear. So you mentioned a professor that kind of turned you on to economics. Were there other classes that stick out in your mind, specific professors you remember, um, other things that sort of uh, augmented your educational experience here at BU that when you look back now, you you realize had a real impact on your, your career? Absolutely. It was Professor Ray, and I don't even know if he realizes it, that he was head of economics department, me taking my first econ class or second one. And he saw he saw that analytical side in me before I did. And he pulled me aside and talked to me about it. He goes, you know, you you don't try that hard and you're you're doing really well. If you this is this is something that comes naturally to you. And I said, well, it's kind of natural. It's obvious. And to me, it seemed obvious, but it wasn't. And it was him highlighting and seeing that economics was really something that was such a natural place for me to be and that I enjoyed uh, the studies in economics that really resulted in me pursuing that as a degree beyond mathematics. And him believing in me, which honestly, quite honestly, made me try harder and then resulted in my, my getting a financial analyst role part-time at a VC firm, very serendipitous to some extent, but also very applicable. 
to what I was studying at the university. So you had this experience working at, at the VC firm while you were still a full-time student? I did. And it was because I was close to Boston and the financial district that I worked 30 hours a week and went to One Liberty Ventures and, and worked there. In fact, I found the job um, at the student you know, job center. And um, originally it was a working at the front desk um, as a receptionist, and it paid well, and I needed the extra cash, so I applied for the role. I was asked to come in for an interview, and when they interviewed me, and I had a resume, and um, my background, it was my junior year, start of my junior year, they said, well, you know, um, you actually have quite a a lot of the experience that we're looking for study-wise. In a financial analyst, is that something you'd be interested in? And said, sure, does it pay well? <laughs> you know, like, why not? I knew nothing about VCs. I knew nothing. I mean, this was a VC firm that had all Harvard Business School graduates working there. And here I am, a BU undergrad studying econ math, not even knowing anything about VCs and being asked to consider an analyst role while I was at BU. It was amazing. And looking back, I probably didn't value it as much as I would now, knowing as much as I do about the business world, but they saw something in me. I've been lucky. So I I did that for the balance of my two years. That's great that you had that extra experience that helped uh, helped shape what you wanted to do. But but tell me about heading into your senior year. um, What's that decision process like for you about what are you going to do after graduation? And how did you end up landing that first job right out of out of undergrad? Yeah, it's a good question. So I had a few roles that I was offered. Um, One was, of course, at the VC firm. Um, They offered me a full-time job. And then uh, through the career development office, I was offered the role uh, for a financial development program at Digital Equipment Corporation. And I'm dating myself, but DEC was one of the, the top computer companies at the time. There was only Deck and IBM. And, you know, the other role I also got through the career development office was GE's financial management program, which is also a very coveted um, company and role at the time. Um, and then there were a few others, but these are the three that really came down to my decisioning and for me to decide what I was going to do. Um, and I decided on digital for a few reasons. Um, One, it was a development program, which would expose me to different facets of finance, and they would move me around every year, um, which I wanted. It it would give me an RA of financial management experience um, that I needed and um, was looking to pursue. By my senior year, I also knew I wanted to get an MBA. And so, you know, having that experience would help me get an MBA, but also round me out in, in the business world. Um, I chose to not go to the VC firm because it was to do what I was doing, but just full time. And I felt it was time to do something different. And location came into play. And for various reasons, I wanted to stay in Boston. And so why I passed on uh, GE's program and stayed with Digital's. And it was it was great. I ended up being with Digital for three years of the program, plus one, an additional year, and then went to NYU for grad school. So you made that decision to try a new city on, got your MBA, and then you went on to have a pretty distinguished career working in some of the biggest financial firms, Amex, MasterCard, Visa. Can you give us a tour of the different positions that you've held and share some of your thinking as you transition from one firm to the other? Absolutely. So American Express, I worked for, who is now the CEO of the company, 
It was a great role, which I started in with, which was to manage the strategic partners from a technology side. So I tell you, my best first day on the job till today is that first day on the job at American Express. I was on the company jet, the corporate jet, flying with our CIO to and some of his directs to meet Bill Gates because Microsoft was one of the relationships I was going to manage. Of course, I was one of the most junior most people on that jet, but what an amazing experience. And the role was a really neat one because I was able to look at the strategic decisioning that was made at the top of the house of what we did from a buy side and the sell side with technology partners such as the likes of Microsoft. And I manage about eight of those partners. Typical Amex, they move you around. Um, So after that role, I had an opportunity to move to the merchant side of the house or the product side of the house. So what does that mean? So merchant acceptance, so accepting Amex and uh, managing the customers, clients. And in this situation, that's a B2B relationship or going to the product side and building the products that we provide to our cardholders, but also work through quite a bit of you know decisioning on how we do that from an end-to-end product marketing as well. I decided to take the road of merchant acceptance at the time, knowing that to be a payments professional, one needs to actually do all of those roles and everything in the middle to really be able to grow into the role that I am in today. So I managed key government accounts. So I had the treasury, I had US Postal Service, and I had transit. So um, my claim to fame and one of the things that I sold in was we were the first J-Hook, which is selling gift cards at the U.S. Postal Service. We were the only one. And I sold that in uh, to the post office, and that's a unionized entity, so that was interesting. Um, we also had some renewals with our government, um, such as for acceptance of American Express, which you can imagine can be interesting negotiations. So that was my foray into contractual negotiations and a, such an amazing experience to have, just some of the roles I've had since. And then I got moved to product after a few years. And that's where I was in what, what was then travelers checks and prepaid services, and then morphed into digital solutions, which is what it is would be considered today. So worked on, um, you know, as we saw the demise of travelers checks, but the rise in the need for employees going abroad and companies being able to provide a solution and creating the prepaid product solution, reloadable product, a card that you can provide to employees when they're traveling for travel and expenses. And so we did that. Um, I built that product for American Express. And at the time I was working with a lot of the emerging markets because that's where the corporates would be sending employees abroad to the U.S. Um, with those products. So one of the markets I was working in is was India. And so when the financial crisis hit and my husband's role took us to India because he was going to be heading up a bank in India, um, I called American Express, thought I was going to resign. And they said, no, keep doing what you're doing, but be based out of India. And so I did that, it, which was an awesome experience. Yeah. How long were you living? You were living in Mumbai, right? How long were you there for? I was there for three years. I was with Amex in Mumbai, not for too long because I needed to pause for a little bit uh, for my personal family situation. I knew a lot about India as having of Indian heritage, but had never lived there since I was three years old, three, four years old. So I, I actually, that is why I left Amex. I left because I needed to focus on my family. 
And Amex was amazing. They said, work from home. I said, I, I would, but there's no Wi-Fi at home. You know, do, do whatever, you know, I just needed to pause. And I did. And I took a few months off, focused on my family, and then went back in um, and did a, a consulting. I did consulting at, back at Amex. I did consulting at um, not-for-profits in India. I um, did some work at, um, you know, different organizations, including some VC firms. Um, and that's when MasterCard found me. So, um, and that role was back in the United States. And it was a really interesting role that touched upon that needed someone who had prepaid experience, government experience, and not-for-profit experience. And I had all three um, from my you know, background. And so I was going to be heading up government prepaid solutions. And I also had campus cards. Some of the, the wins that we had at the time um, really targeted the underbanked. And um, you know, if, you, if you listen to Ajay Banga, who's the CEO of MasterCard, he talks about the war on cash and um, financial inclusion and the products that we built and that, and that my team built along with many others at MasterCard were you know, for that, those markets. So some of the, my claim to fame there was the Nash, Nigeria National ID, which is a prepaid product, um, but it's also an ID, national ID. And we um, provided a solution that allows government disbursements by the Nigerian government on that product but in the process also provides uh, electronic payments to every citizen in Nigeria overnight. We did the same for South Africa. We have the SASA. MasterCard has the SASA product. It's a South African national ID. That was the first biometric ID oh, wow. um, that's out there. So that's voice-enabled and biometric fingerprint. Um, so we were able to build that product pretty um, much. You know, That was at the forefront at the time of biometrics for void, for authentication of proof of life. And so we did that and then many others. And that's when Visa found me. And Visa said, it was the head of Visa's product group. Um, and they found me at a conference and asked me to come do what I was doing at MasterCard, but not only with prepaid, but what, what the time was called mobile solutions. And that was a bet they were making on me because I had prepaid. I didn't have mobile. I believed in mobile as the form factor of you know, person-to-person payments and mobile money, which was happening and popping up in, you know, in, in Kenya with M-Pesa. It was a bet they were making on me and me on them, and, and I believed in it. So I moved over to Visa uh, to keep doing what I was doing at MasterCard, but with not only plastic-based solutions, but mobile as well, and what is now called digital solutions. Had a great run at Visa, went to many markets such as Ghana and Rwanda, Bangladesh and Myanmar, uh, to name a few. And I, I, not, to, not to cut you off or anything, but I, I also noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned, you, you've talked about all the, the countries in Africa that you've worked in. And you actually took part in the African summit led by President Obama. Um, I thought it was interesting that you, you gave a talk about mobile payments and their role in stimulating economic growth. That's, that's, that's right. fascinating. Yep. Yep. I did. I do believe that when you put the power of payments in the people's hands, right, you, and you complement that with financial education as well, what you see and the output that you see is just phenomenal to, to as far as making an impact financially to their daily life, but also to their family and their livelihood, and then subsequently to the economy as well. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely, to what you're describing, is I truly believe until today. And, and, and um, 
really was am humbled to have worked in that space for quite a long time. So in the tour of your career that you've given us, you mentioned a number of things that I wanted to follow up on. First and foremost, you talked about taking time off to focus on your family. And I'm, as you're telling me, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, you've been in this, high, what I can only assume is a high pressure industry, you know, finance in New York City and internationally. Um, but here you are wanting to, to take time for your family. Is, is the financial or financial services industry... Can you do that? Do you feel like you've been able to take the time for your family that you want to? Or um, did, did, did you sort of feel like you had any setbacks in your career because of the, the decision you made to take some time off to focus on your family? You can absolutely do that. Now, there's setbacks were, I think setbacks is an unfair description. When I decided to take um, a very individual contributor role, I chose to go lateral in my career, not setback but lateral at that time, but that was a personal choice. And when I took time off and came back in, there was, I've always been, I I feel it's really important to stay true and authentic to you. And when you bring your hundred percent to the role, that's you, and you want a leader that appreciates that, which also means your hundred percent and your authentic self, you need to have your priorities aligned, right? And so when it was time for my family and I took that time off and American Express was very supportive of that. And when I joined MasterCard, very supportive of that, quote, gap, as every company has been subsequently. I highlight it because I think sometimes, including me when I was younger, thought there's a straight line and a straight path up and you can't pause. Pauses are important because they keep you grounded, especially if you need them. And for me, my success has been because of me always staying authentic and having leaders and companies who've supported that in me and why I've been so loyal to those companies and to those leaders in the process as well and to myself in that process as well because my my definition of success isn't just about my job it's about a lot of other things that make me me and that's important for me to highlight as well. The other thing I wanted to, to talk about was, you know, as you're talking about some of the products that you helped launch, the solutions that you've been a part of, um, you literally have been, you know, sort of on the emerging front lines of, you know, the fintech revolution, innovation, strategy. And there you are in New York City or in the New York area where, you know, we have something like 40,000 Boston University alumni who. Uh, who live and work in New York and and finance is uh, somewhere in the, the fourth or fifth top industry that our alumni are working in. Is New York, as you see it, the best place to have a great career in finance and financial services? And also, not to ask you too many questions in one, but how do you how are you staying on top of trends in that industry? Yeah, great question. So New York is absolutely a great place to work um, for as far as financial services. It is not the only place to work, though, especially when it comes to fintech. San Francisco is really good. And then Europe. Um, there are pockets of Europe that are just growing leaps and bounds. I will say, though, you are at the center of a lot of it in New York. So to your point earlier, um, I don't miss a beat because of being in New York, and it does help. It also helps with the second part of your question, which is how do you stay connected? 
I am in the heart of the epicenter of financial services and the fin- and fintech today. And in fact, a lot of those startups, quote unquote, that have started in San Fran are moving offices and setting shop up in New York City for that reason, because of the talent that's here. And that's something that I don't take for granted, right? So I have been in the payments industry for about 20 years now. I have relationships from across the board, from every place I've worked and every place I've partnered with. And I stay in touch. The most, the power of the network and your own personal network and your professional network is so important, especially as I've grown, quote, grown up in my career. And that's what actually keeps me most interconnected is picking up the phone and asking a question of a, of a former colleague's friend and saying, Hey, I have a question for you. I, I'm, I'm, and being humble enough to say that. I'm a bit confused about X, Y, and Z. I think that's really important to stay humble. Um, I obviously read all the um, you know, payments journals. I'm on every one of those as it relates to you know, my digital presence and you know, being able to hear. I could do a better job, on, as, as my communications department would say, on tweeting and the communication side. But as far as listening and being at the, having the pulse of it, I'm absolutely apprised of that. I learn from my team as well, right? So I hire people who bring a lot of a wealth of knowledge in payments and beyond, and I learn from them as well. So, you know, learning comes from all over, right? I, I learn from my kids on things that I observe how they spend. And it goes back to that, you know, starting with a product that what I wake up and think about to build. If I think about the next generation, and that's the Gen Zers, which my kids are in, and watching their transaction and their spend behavior is really interesting because that is the next gen of what the products they should be building and targeting for them, not me in, in the generation that I'm in. And so that helps me because I geek out about payments. So um, I've asked you to do a lot of uh, looking back today. And, and unfortunately, we're running up against time here. But you mentioned you know, the next generation. When you look forward uh, about what what they're going to inherit in terms of you know careers and what do you what do you want the next generation to know about being successful uh, in their chosen career path? Yeah, I think the power of technology is definitely becoming more and more important, whilst also building and your relationships. So I do think that um, there's something we got right in our generation of picking up the phone and talking to somebody or walking down the hallway. And having that conversation, being the, the marriage of the power of technology and being able to use it while also holding on to that conversation and bringing that together, the strong communication skills and the strength in technology will make for a very successful individual in the future, um, even more than what we have today. Well, Mamta, thank you so much for, for taking time out to talk to us. It was really great to chat with you today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the questions and for the consideration. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Mamta for joining me on the podcast. It was great to hear her story, and I really appreciate what she had to say about the importance of humility and tapping into your networks for help. If you want to learn more about Mamta or connect with her directly, you can find her LinkedIn profile in the show notes of this episode. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. 
To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcasts.